1: Hello everybody, it's John Pollock and Wei Ting coming out of day number fifteen of the G1 climax.
0: We are almost there, way. Nineteen is not that far away. It's within reach. I could see it. Um the the, the, the fog is starting to uh dissipate, and I feel like I've I'm, I'm finally seeing some land uh at the end of this long, long, long journey. But it's been a fun journey. So let's Sail together.
1: Are you gonna miss uh, talking to me every morning and every single day uh, in this fashion that we have at at this volume? Well,
0: um, I don't know. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the answer is I talk to you every day anyway, regardless of whether or not like we're doing this show. Like this, really, is just you. You should be asking me if I'm gonna miss talking to you two times a day and uh I guess that that is kind of what we're at at this point, so. pretty much, yeah, uh and yes, of course, of course, it's been nice i I feel like i'm I'm like you know in a pretty good routine, although I will say like with this particular g one um I feel like the breaks have been longer, I don't know about you, but like I feel like it's been kind of a lot more evenly paced where it does not feel perhaps as like you know uh, as much of a daily you know uh, occurrence, really, I think there have been good gaps, I think they've yeah. been very good with
1: that and That might be as simple as having one show start in Dallas and then having the week off that. uh, Yeah, it just seems like we had that one stretch of four days in a row. But that was, I think, our only four days in a row. And yeah, I think like right as you're kind of like, okay, I could use a break. They give you a break Mm -hmm. sometimes for two days, which is nice. And then you're ready to go back into it. And again, the five matches is it's. Way easier. Like, I still cannot fathom the the days of doing 10 matches per day, even if it was
0: over a smaller amount of time. I think it's been very palatable and, and actually very satisfying to, to sit through, you know? So, at no point... Can you to...
1: imagine if this wrestling sucked? Like, if there was... Like, like, if this wasn't good wrestling?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that would make it a lot more difficult. The fact that it's it's been of such a high quality certainly makes it very easy. But imagine <laughs> if it was like a five day a week thing of just like really bad like 80s wwe matches um it i don't know if we would i ha- see this level of demand for us to <laughs> the cover. g1 the g1 in wwf 1985 yeah, yeah. maybe some hacksaw jim <laughs> duggan um you know maybe Iron some, sheik yeah volkov yeah of course um oh, we'll boy.
1: book that oh, yeah you that's, that's a frightening—you know, there, there are people out there that would absolutely be like, oh my god, that sounds like the greatest thing ever. It's not. In your mind, if you can contort that into something great,
0: <laughs> you're wrong. 30-minute draw between, like, Hacksaw and, and Nikolai would be something.
1: Well, I'm going to do a, a short detour because I just have to share this this promo with you, A. I know that you are not—and many, many people out there are not keeping up with 205 Live, but it's I've been watching 205 Live uh, more regularly this summer— and I just finished this week's show, and it's headlined by a six-pack challenge. With uh, This is where Only Lorcan wins to face Drew Gulak on Sunday. And they do the standard, all the guys do their tape promos from earlier about how they're going to win. <laughs> My contender for promo of the year is Akira Tozawa sitting in the stands with Brian Kendrick. And these promos, like you typically have 30 seconds or so to sell yourself and why this victory means so much to you going to SummerSlam to take on Drew Gulak. And Akira Tozawa, his words of warning for these other five men, he says, I know what it's like to lose the Cruiserweight title at SummerSlam, and I'm going to show Drew Gulak what it feels like. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I know uh, what it's like to lose the title at SummerSlam, so Drew Gulak be ready because I am going to give you that feeling on Sunday. It's like, "Wow, man, what a, words of of confidence here from Akira Tozawa. I am a proven loser
0: and I will I will uh give the the feeling of losing to you Drew Gulak." I think it's an interesting take on um uh somebody's motivation to win a match, not necessarily to Earn the championship yourself, but to give your opponent the feeling of loss, I, I, I would say that's more of a sadistic take. Yeah, it's like I'm not. It's not even about winning the title. It's not about winning.
1: It's, it's not me winning. It is you losing. That is the headline. I, I think I, I don't, I
0: don't hate it. Maybe I have to hear the delivery though. Well, it was.
1: Uh, I just thought it was like quite, quite the logic of. I know what it's like to lose. <laughs> <laughs> at a major pay-per-view. So get ready. Anyway, he didn't win. So he lost this, and he lost his chance to make Drew Gulak a loser. So I don't know how that painted Akira Tozawa by the end of it.
0: Well, he has many more losing experiences in his future, I, I would assume. that yeah, he didn't.
1: they also... Do. The six-pack's challenge was actually a, a pretty good match. Dead crowd as usual. But then earlier, it was uh, Humberto Carrillo against Lince Dorado. And again, they did a count-out ending... And I watched this, and I was like, I couldn't even tell if they screwed up the finish or not. It didn't seem like they screwed it up because Dorado uh, like pulls at Carrillo's uh, leg from the floor and leads to the double countout, and it just seemed like it was like an awful ending. It's like, why would you book this? I mean, it but wouldn't be the first was. time that
0: happened in recent.
1: Well, recent that's time. that's the only reason I thought about it because with Gable and Gallagher, it was a legit countout um, that wasn't supposed ending to ending with with Gallagher stumbling. Uh, so this one, I mean, he was pulling the leg, so you would think it was designed, but then, uh, I don't know, it just, it was a, like an awful ending. It's like, I don't know. Okay. It didn't, didn't really work
0: for me. Anyway, this is not the 205 Live podcast, though. But Maybe next week we will be, because into- I'm going to actually probably stick around to watch 205 Live live. That's right. You are going. You broke
1: the news at the end of Rewind to SmackDown. Yeah. I hope everyone listens to the ending of these shows because you never know what news is going to drop. Way is going to SmackDown Live. I think that's what what in more- the
0: industry we we term a pickup because we had actually ended the show without realizing that we did not uh, follow up on the tease that John so wonderfully set up at the beginning of the show. So he sent me a message at the end and said, "Wait, you just want to record this line and add it to the end of the show?" I was like, "Yeah, okay, sure." Oh, man, you're taking everyone behind the curtain now.
1: Um, I am more excited, not so much that you're going to SmackDown, but who you're going to SmackDown with. And I really hope that you have some some observations for us I'm, on next week. It'll, it'll
0: be a family affair. It'll be a Ting family affair at SmackDown because not only am uh, am I going to bring my brother who's in town, uh, my nephew is also in town. Um, he It'll be his first wrestling show ever. Actually, both of their first wrestling shows ever. Uh, i'm also going to take my girlfriend there and it'll be her her first wrestling show ever however she is somebody who is fully up on all the storylines because she is forced to sit with me every monday every tuesday throughout all this stuff she does not pay that much attention but you know by by osmosis i think she she fully knows who all the characters are she has her opinion so maybe i'll give you a report so she's not actively sitting in front of the tv watching raw and smackdown but it's It's right there in the background. Yeah, she'll make comments about, like, oh, my God, like this. What's wrong with this guy? Uh, (laughs) She thinks Seth Rollins is really corny. So, yeah, we shall see.
1: Well, I'm just I'm disappointed your dad isn't going.
0: Well, yeah, um, I, I guess he's a little busy. Maybe that's something else to look forward to. Maybe he's more of an AEW guy.
1: Well, that's, that's for next week. That'll be uh, that, That's become now the main event of the WWE's trip to Toronto is uh, the Ting family going to SmackDown Live next Tuesday.
0: Before we get to the review, Today, I, I do want to mention this is a free podcast. Uh, as, oh, yeah. as many of you are listening to right now, we'll, we'll be able to realize I'm not a patron. How am I listening to this? This is a free show. Uh, that we we just choose to do occasionally, particularly I guess on a Wednesday when we have nothing else on this feed uh to give you a sample of the g one coverage that we have been doing over the past one two three four five weeks, five five and a half yeah. weeks so uh this this these shows if you're in, in involved in and in, into the g one you can go back and uh watch the g one or watch select matches that we recommend and then just get completely caught up right before the finals. Yes, we have reviews of
1: every single show uh, throughout the whole tournament. And we will be back uh, with shows on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, for CAFE members, and then after Monday's final. So four more to go after this one. Uh, Today was an A-block show from Hamamatsu, and it was three people that were alive with Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, and Evil, as well as a bonus tag match. Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero versus G1 Math that took
0: place on this show. I think it's a long-term build uh, for that particular one. And I think it's it's a, you know, G1 Math, I think, has proven to be an incredibly strong competitor, I would say, this year.
1: I think it was a, uh, it was a 10-9 round for G1 Math today.
0: Sure. Against everybody, I would say.
1: Lance Archer and Sonata was our first tournament match of the day. And Archer has four points and Sonata with six coming off that big win over Kazuchika Okada and Archer immediately attacks Sonata on his way to the ring, even puts his mask on briefly. And then Sonata goes after his leg with a dragon screw and Sonata goes to the floor. Archer comes off the apron with this somersault senton where he hadn't fully rotated yet as he just crashed into Sonata. This is a very large man doing this move and, that's kind of been Archer's whole gimmick in this G1. A large man doing things that you wouldn't
0: expect him to be doing. A very fan-friendly style. Yeah, he has not necessarily been wrestling. I mean, he's been wrestling, I would say, as a traditional heel in the sense that he's been really great at being entertaining in an annoying way. In a way that, you know, like scaring little children in the in the, in the audience. Uh, but in addition to that, throwing in very fan-friendly moves like these flips. Archer took Sonata. And he drove his head into the camera. Yeah, he, what a what a what a shot! He was using everything around him, and I think that's that's really something that to me has has been standing out with Lance Archer, aside from just being you know uh, delivering the like flips that you wouldn't expect from a big man. But even with his brawls, he is somebody who is able to find something entertaining, something unique, uh, seemingly with almost every moment that he has out on the floor. It's a it's a trait that I think is shared by somebody like Chris Jericho or John Moxley when we've seen them in a new Japan pro wrestling environment um they they are very entertaining when they're not necessarily just stalling when they're out there Archer
1: hit him with a black hole slam did that twisting splash out of the corner and yelled everybody dies and now he's going to fucking die so as he threatened murder maybe this guy was the mystery attacker
0: well he tells you i mean the the He's he straight attack. up about I am going to kill you. Whereas no, this move is called Everybody Dies. I guess so. so. Yes,
1: really uh, narrows things down. Uh, Sonata goes back to attacking the knee of Archer. He avoided a choke slam. The skulling gets countered into an inverted DDT by Archer. Then Archer hits an enormous choke slam, misses with a moonsault off the top, and then Sonata goes up. He goes for the moonsault, landing on Archer's knees. He cradles him for a two count. Skull End gets stopped by the EBD Claw, but Sonata gets to the ropes. Blackout is then turned into the Skull End. Archer rolls back, and Sonata leapfrogs to avoid the derailer and catches him with a Japanese rolling leg clutch at 10 minutes and 29 seconds. And I thought that these two styles really meshed with one another very effectively, and Sonata definitely had a, a certain buzz about him coming off of the Okada win, and I was so glad that he didn't lose this match. It doesn't really matter points-wise, but I think it would have just taking a bit of air out of the balloon had he lost to archer so quickly after the big okada win
0: i agree you know what's not in line right now for a title shot against okada after beating him i think it's it's important to keep him re- really strong up until that point so i i you know who does he have coming up after this sonata's
1: last match is against bad luck Fale. who
0: jesus christ sonata better win that match i i, I would expect him to to beat both of these men uh you know no storyline implications for this one I really only wanted to see what Sonata could do with the giant, and what Archer could do with somebody as athletic and versatile in Sonata. And like you, I thought they had excellent chemistry. Um, you know, Archer, like I said, incredibly engaging throughout, even with his brawling and also his playing to the camera. Him just yelling random things at the camera to me has 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 been something that's been able to set him apart from other big men that just simply coast on being large and like you know doing like Kevin Nash like corner chokes or anything like that to me like archer is somebody who make, puts effort into making every moment seem interesting some really great counters here from both men's signature spots the blackout changed perfectly to the skull end um i feel like we only had a brief preview here of what these two could actually achieve if if given like a bigger bigger setting with with higher stakes and i was kind of left you know salivating wanting to see a, a bigger match between these two it never overstated to welcome if anything uh just kind of wet my appetite I go large, uh, one cream, one sugar.
1: I, w- I went large, one milk, one sugar on this one. It was uh, the, the styles just really meshed very mm-hmm. well together. And I would say there are people that certainly had better tournaments than Archer. But in terms of where someone was at the start of the tournament versus the end of it, has anyone increased their stock more than Lance Archer before and after?
0: Well, that's a really interesting question, you know, talking about like most improved uh, as far as this one goes, because I think you have a number of candidates. You know, you look at somebody like John uh, John Moxley, um, if you would consider that to be improvement or maybe just the fact that, you know, he was perhaps held back for a long time and finally getting to show who he is in a tournament like this. And I think you also look at somebody like Kenta, who you could kind of put in that category as well. So I think it's an interesting debate. Maybe we'll have uh, at the end of the, the, the coverage.
1: Next up, Hiroshi Tanahashi, eight points. take on Bad Luck Fale, four points. And Kevin Kelly brought up his stats at the beginning, which I always enjoy. And our total match time for these two going into this match, Tanahashi has had two hours and three minutes of match time in the G1. Bad Luck Fale has had an hour and four minutes. And yet when the, those stats were read, the daunting stat was that I've watched over 60 minutes of Bad Luck Fale matches in this tournament. <laughs> and I don't know how... That is possible. This guy has been at the absolute bottom of my tournament. Yes. Yes. Well, like, I think he has worked himself out of a spot for next year.
0: You know, um, I wonder. I wonder. I mean, I, I do feel like the, I think the G1 has room for versatility uh, in, in the way of, you know, seeing men of various sizes, including somebody like the largest person on the roster. I feel like he'll get on, but, um, you know. I would love to see the the style change a little, or if if he continues to wrestle, I think having shorter matches uh, would be better. So maybe you're looking at what is your like if you're looking at a target um, total match time for Bad Luck Folly within a G one. What what would that be for you, John? Um, 64 minutes over seven
1: matches, way too much. I, will, I th- this guy to me, I I don't know. I'm just like. Five minutes tops is all I need. Five minutes over Fale, the, Fale the course
0: of, of nine matches.
1: Yes, yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, oh. not five minutes per match. Five minutes total. That would be great. I just, I, I don't see, there There were past years where I understood the role of Fale, and they would always keep him strong, but I think more and more that's been diminished. He's a year older, he's a year slower. Uh, They've kind of trivialized the grenade to the point that it's not even that protected of a finish any longer. He's not, even booked into a situation where he's really really all that relevant to me when you have guys like Lance Archer, you have giants that are coming up like I would much rather next year even if he's not ready technically, I would rather see a Hikuleo in this than Bad Luck Folly who could be your next giant that's on the way up that can have your 4 to 6 points.
0: Um yeah. Well, I think the mobile giant certainly is, you know, replacing the the giants of old that just you know are big and and really that's it. It's the giants that can do flips. It's you know um, your Brock Lesnar, I even like Braun Strowman type type of giants that I think are a lot more versatile than Foley. Uh, but you know, I think Foley will have a job in New Japan for a long time though. So how many roles can they actually have for these types of giants? Well, I. I think that there comes the time like this year with Togi Makabe
1: that they had to make the call that this year you're not in. Yeah. And I think Fale, that's, that would be my decision for next year. So Tanahashi immediately goes after Fale's knee. Jado gets involved using the kendo stick. And again, Tanahashi, as he's been doing on the, uh, did on the undercard on the last show, trying for the slam. Fale lands on top of him. Tana keeps going for the leg, hits a dragon screw leg whip. And then a figure four gets reversed. Tanahashi goes for the sunset flip, Fale just sits down on him with a splash, and Tanahashi stops the grenade with a twist and shout, sling blade, and then a high fly flow onto Fale's back, he goes for another high fly flow, but Jado again uses the kendo stick to the injured knee of Tanahashi, so this allows Fale to hit the grenade, and Tanahashi kicks out, then blocks the bad luck fall, he goes for a backslide, Fale counters the backslide with his own backslide, and he pins Tanahashi, In 9 minutes and 59 seconds. A a rather stunning upset. And Kevin Kelly's only comment about Hiroshi Tanahashi afterwards was... Well, he can still get to 10 points. That's Tanahashi's storyline going into Budokan Hall. Well, he can still get 10 points.
0: I mean, it's got to be a struggle trying to come up with, like, you know... Storyline points for all these guys in these types of matches. Especially now that they're out of the tournament. And... I guess the idea of having double digits um, is that imagine, imagine sitting down with Tanahashi and saying, "Hey, hey,
1: Ace, uh, G1 winner from last year. Um, this year, you're going to be out before the final week, and we're not going to have much for you going into Budokan. You're going to lose to Bad Luck Fale, and therefore, you're probably going to have to work with this guy after the G1 because we got to we got to pay this off somehow. So, okay. take all that and digest it." <laughs> Listen, Tanahashi and Bad Luck Folly is probably what we're getting at Destruction next week. Well,
0: month. hey, like, I know we spent, like, the majority of the past, like, three minutes talking sh- complete shit about Bad Luck Folly, but I thought this was a great David Goliath match. You know, and, and I would maybe go as far as to say this might might have been my favorite Folly match of the entire G1. From the get-go, they wasted no time in giving us, I think, what we all ca- really expected to see here, and that was Tanahashi's masterful selling. All Folly really had to do was, like, Give Tanahashi an excuse to sell that knee. He could, have, he could have Eskimo kissed his knee for all I care. As long as there's some physical contact between Folly and Tanahashi's knee, we knew we were going to get a good show. And that's what we got. It was masterful. You're praising
1: Hiroshi Tanahashi. This is very one-sided praise. Well, yes, Like like,
0: literally he was in the ring with a refrigerator and he had a great match. Well, yes. I mean, that, 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 that is what I'm saying, but uh, Fale, I don't think hampered it. It, You needed somebody as big as Bad Luck Fale in order to tell the story. I I actually feel like Fale did a lot more than just, you know, Eskimo kiss uh, Tanahashi's knee. He was, I felt legitimately working hard here to apply that pressure to Tana. He had some pretty good varied offense and I say varied for him okay and at no point did i feel bored with him which is more than i could say for a lot of his other output in this tournament um unlike sonata archer i don't know if i wanted to see more of this i felt like nine minutes was a perfect link for this match um 10 okay whatever 10 was a perfect link for this match i didn't get bored but i didn't really need to see more of it either but i i still thought this was thoroughly entertaining
1: i thought tanahashi was great Um, not, not among his best matches. Uh, I think maybe, maybe the lower end. I I went, I went large on this one. I went large one cream. Well, I guess then you're saying of the 74 minutes of bad luck folly matches. This was your favorite 10. Um, yeah. We should, we should really go revisit the, the run of bad luck folly and his nine matches in the G1 and, and pairing contrast. He got the worst match of Okada. Um.
0: Okay, okay, but but even if, like, the guy is really bad, if he's in there with the best wrestlers in the world, some of those matches are, I think you can start, you will be able to classify as good. Yeah, you can classify as good. um, They will obviously be better if if he was better, but I I can't say this was a bad match. I enjoyed this match.
1: Uh, This was definitely better than the Okada match. Significantly better. Yeah. That was definitely Okada's worst match. Will Osprey, uh, let's look at the who each has. So we've got on the final day at Budokan Hall, we have Tanahashi taking on Will Osprey, and as we mentioned, Bad Luck Fale will be taking on uh, who does he have here? Sonata. Yes. Will Osprey versus Kenta was next. Osprey has four points and Kenta has eight, and immediately Osprey goes for an os cutter that gets stopped, and Kenta just fires off kicks slaps there seemed to be a level of confidence that kenta could just blast away and this
0: guy's made of rubber he'll be fine (laughs) uh huge yeah i mean i think it's you know it's 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 uh the type of unapologetic you know aggressive aggression that we we haven't seen from him in a long time that we're starting to uh see reveal itself in in this uh new japan pro wrestling style he attacked Osprey's neck with a tornado DDT where he
1: snapped the neck onto the top rope and then he took Osprey and ran him to every side of the ring into the guardrail. He got 4 of these and Osprey really was just hard. getting blasted really into these guardrails. Oh my god. Including one where Kelly and Romero were right there and just remarking on how hard he went into these guardrails. He was just going full speed into these uh, Osprey was draped on the top rope, avoided a flying knee, and then hit a handspring insiguri, sending Kenta to the floor, and he set up for the space flying tiger drop, but Kenta got to the apron and caught him in a choke, and then brought him to the edge and hit a falcon arrow as Osprey stumbles on the floor and just gets in at the count of 19. Uh, Kenta then goes for a springboard and, unfortunately, slipped on the top rope, uh, but just got up and just
0: continued going with it. Uh, It was an unfortunate slip. I don't think it really hurt the match. You know, I think in a real fight, like, slips like this would occur all the time. And I was really pleasantly surprised that, you know, uh, Hamamatsu did not... Yeah, like, I mean, it's a Japanese crowd, so they're not going to chant you fucked up, but, like, nobody seemed to uh be kind of that appalled at this it was i think at this point we all want Kenta to do well and i think a little slip up like this was just if anything i i I felt bad um that it was not a perfect performance but then again wrestling should not necessarily look robotic and perfect all the time no and i i always judge
1: moments like that of how the performer reacts and incorporates it or just moves on and Just how you deal with something like that. Because, yes, if you're simulating uh, a combat fight, then stuff like that will happen. And I I don't look at that as like some awful detriment. It's all in how you handle it. I think the mark of death is if he had just gone right back to the apron and tried it again. That is just – that's where you shine a light on it and you're just – you're telling the audience, I was supposed to hit this and I fucked up and I've interrupted the – ...way the match was supposed to go. And that, to me, is more kind of an indictment. But that maybe, wasn't the maybe case Maybe he could have yelled, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd uh, he'd get a title program in that decade. Ten years, yeah. Uh, he landed the uh, Busseku knee after a foot stomp... ...where Osprey is just, like, heaving. Like he's just had his lung compressed. Osprey then lost Kenta on a power bomb attempt... ...goes back and goes for it again, and Kenta applies a guillotine. Then we go to a rear naked choke. He sets up Osprey for the PK, but it gets ducked, and Osprey lifts him up with the sit-out powerbomb, and then goes for a shooting star press, landing on Kenta's knees, and this allows Kenta to apply game over, and Osprey fights to the rope. Another Buseku knee. The knee pad comes down. Go to sleep gets countered into a small package by Osprey, and then he hits a high kick and the os cutter for a big near fall hook kick, Hidden Blade and Stormbreaker as Will Osprey wins this one in 16 minutes and 34 seconds. I thought that um, I thought this was one of Kenta's best matches. They mm-hmm. did have uh, they had I would say like two hiccups in the match, but not enough that I thought it was a big detriment to the match. And I thought that this was Kenta uh, feeling very comfortable in there with Will Osprey, and Osprey has just been on fire in this tournament.
0: I think as a singular effort, it might have been my favorite Kenta match. You can certainly argue about whether or not it was his best match of the tournament, but I thought I thought this was like the most Kenta. I think we've got to see see of Kenta in this tournament, and by that I mean, you know, it 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 felt like by this point he had certainly accomplished his goal in the tournament, which was to prove to the world that Hideo Itami is dead and that Kenta is back. I felt like he had that. Again, that incredible, like, aggression where he was just not afraid of hurting somebody else. And I think the whole world is better for it. Stiff throughout this entire thing and the type of Kenta that I think we want. Like, when you say, oh, I want to see a dream match between classic Kenta and modern-day Will Osprey," I feel like this is pretty much, like, what that, I think, dream match w- look would have looked like back then, what it looks like now. He was fast, kept up with Osprey's pace. Maybe a little too fast at times, resulting in some of those slip-ups. But in the end, like... Really exciting back and forth. Um, You know, Osprey gets a strong win coming out of this. He kind of needed one um, just kind of for the sake of of, uh, his record not looking that bad coming out of this. But um, I, I, I come out of this really feeling like, yeah, Kenta is back. He's definitely back. I went extra large on this one. I went XL, one cream, maybe throw in a half sugar as well. Ooh. Some additives to
1: ways extra large. So Osprey now has six points. We mentioned he has the match with Tanahashi, which certainly is going to be uh, one of great expectations for people. And then Kenta has Zack Sabre Jr. in his final match. So that should be an interesting one as well. Totally different from this one. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Kota Ibushi, Zack Sabre Jr. This is must win for Ibushi, who has 10 points. And Zack Sabre Jr. has six points coming into this one. So Zach goes after the ankle at the beginning of the match, and that was his full attention at the beginning of this, attacking the leg, attacking the ankle, and Abushi got this brief comeback with a power slam and immediately leaps onto the turnbuckle for a moonsault and gets taken down by the leg, so he can't give an inch to Zack Sabre Jr., who just capitalizes and goes after the ankle and leg. Uh, Zach applied an STF, transitioned to a knee bar. Abushi uh, countered a Zach driver, and he goes for a bridging suplex on one leg, uh, then does a sit-out powerbomb as he's holding, like, the left leg in the air for the impact to just be absorbed on the right side. I mean, it's a very cool stuff that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Then he holds on to the wrists and goes to the Kamagoye, which gets stopped as Zach kicks at his leg. He goes for orienteering, then to this calf crusher, and then wraps the left leg around the neck. But abushi is right at the rope to avoid the submission. And we get a series of backslide covers by Zach. Abushi kicks out from them lands his huge slap and drops Sabre with a head kick, lands a Beaumaye for a two-count, and then hits the Kamagoye for the win at 15 minutes and 46 seconds, and keeps himself alive. And the scenario after this is that Evil will only be alive if he beats Okada and wins on the final day, and Okada and Ibushi would have to have a double countout. So uh, the announcers were struggling to figure this out on the fly, but that's the scenario, which... In theory, before the match with Evil and Okada began, Evil was pretty much out because you knew Okada and Abushi are not having a double countout like this is 205
0: Live. Right, <laughs> yes. Uh, so he's technically Evil, is technically still in, but... Uh, he's
1: technically in, but highly in unlikely. theory out, yes.
0: yeah. I thought this match was fantastic. You know, really well-told story with Zack working over that uh, ankle injury. I think it further shows Abushi's really underrated, subtle selling it's an element of his game that i don't think gets as much praise because he's so good at at the flashy stuff but you know doing things like hitting that german and lifting one foot up because he can't apply pressure on that bridge to me is giving a whole lot of respect to the psychology of the match it was also a technical battle that i think you would expect from a typical zach saber jr match with great counters great pin attempts i love that the orienteering as a callback to last year's match uh when i believe he beat him um I've never been so excited to see somebody try to wrap another man's leg over his head. And I love that Zach has been able to turn such a complicated looking like weird technical submission move into an exciting pro wrestling finisher with like near attempts and and crowd the crowd recognizing. Oh, once that leg is hooked around his head, it's over. So um, I love that. I don't think it was either man's best match of the tournament. Probably far from it in in Ibushi's case. But I certainly thought it lived up to both men's reputations. Um, I still go... I go XL one cream for this.
1: I I went XL on this one. Um, I I thought it was a very good match. I I feel that Ibushi... I feel he's definitely being somewhat conservative going into this final weekend. And what is expected if you figure that he's got uh, an Okada main event... And in theory, if he's winning that match, an even bigger match on Monday. And I, I think that you've seen that. I think you saw in the Tanahashi match, like it was a match. It was a, like all his matches have been very, very good. But the expectations are very, very high when you're talking about Koto And I think he realizes the matches that I can get by with very good. And the matches, I can't just be very good with Okada. I need to have a match of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, and but even his very good is a lot of people's, like, best matches of, of their entire career. So um, I, I'm perfectly happy with it, uh, and I guess we could expect the real epic battles to come.
1: And the main event, Kazuchika Okada versus Evil. Uh, Okada with 12 points and Evil with 8. So we went over the scenarios uh, of what has to happen here. Evil, of course, beat Okada in 2017 in the G1 in Osaka in what I still believe is Evil's best singles match of his career. And that did set up a title match later that year in Osaka with Evil losing that match at King of Pro Wrestling. So in this one, Evil reverses Okada and Irish whips him into the guardrail and then sends him over with a clothesline. Okada took over back into the ring and he's telling the audience to be quiet and they kind of were. Uh, Okada hit a belly to back neckbreaker and top rope elbow and calls for the rainmaker. Evil then is drop kicked off the top where he's seated to the floor and Okada then runs at Evil and gets blasted with this chair thrown at his head and then Evil doing the chair spot around the neck. Uh, back into the ring, everything is Evil gets stopped. Okada lands a drop kick and Evil then uh, they do this misdirection spot where Okada finally hits the drop kick as Evil comes out of the corner. And then Okada is struggling, fights to hit the tombstone, and hits it. Then the Rainmaker gets ducked. Evil attempts a Rainmaker. Then Okada tries everything is evil, which Romero called everything is Okada. That gets blocked, and it ends with li- a lariat from Evil. Everyone's down, and this seemed to be the moment that the audience picked itself up, and Rocky called it the best sequence of the match so far. And I was with him. I thought that this match, it really was the final 10 minutes, because mm-hmm. the first. I'd say the first half of this match I don't know
0: it was like um it was very it was slow. like you were trying to light a match and it just was not catching fire it felt a lot like an Iron Man match where I think they deliberately started off at a very slow pace because they were gonna go long um, but I would say for an Okada match like it felt maybe a little bit slower than even typical and i I thought so and um not necessarily all that exciting in terms of I think offense but after this
1: sequence it was just like a, a- Flip got turned on with the crowd because they were much more into this and I think realizing now we're into the big stretch. Uh, Everything is evil gets countered and there's a short Rainmaker. Okada holds onto the wrist. Then he hits another short one, goes for the full version, but evil ducks and hits two half and half suplexes. Okada then ducks a lariat, drop kicks him into the back of the head, hits a front one. Rainmaker gets ducked. Everything is evil is blocked and then evil dumps him with a headbutt and gets a huge near fall after a lariat as the crowd reacts very loud to that one. And then Okada makes his comeback. He catches evil with a spinning rainmaker and then finally hits the full version. 27 minutes. He gets the pinfall and. <laughs> the best line at the end of this was, well, we don't have to do any more math. It's very simple. It is Okada versus Abushi, <laughs> and the winner goes to the final. Uh, in the case of Obushi he must beat Okada because Okada would advance if they go to
0: a draw. Yes, yes. I do. I feel like they should really hire like a status, statistician for like the final it, two weeks of a G one.
1: Listen, I understand. Believe me firsthand. Uh, uh, this math can be very complex. I do feel the announcers like they have to be on top of that Absolutely. stuff because you are the conduit to the viewer at home. That I will guarantee you, the viewer at home probably does not have all of this figured out i think the announcers like yes it's complicated but you should have all these scenarios laid out like if this person wins this is the scenario if this person wins that's the scenario and i know these guys do that stuff so i I think it's very important like the announcers have to have that stuff down
0: they have to sound like the biggest experts among everybody and um i know it's a very small crew especially like on the english international broadcasting side of things and i know they rely a lot on that audience to kind of fill in the gaps for them. Um, but I, I think it's important to do that though, before the show and, and not, not have to fumble on the show. Cause it kind it, of it was really
1: away. bad with the evil stuff. Like they went yeah. back and forth like three or four
0: times of whether he was in or out and just trying to figure this out on the fly. And yeah, it takes away the credibility. And again, I think this is where somebody like Chris Charlton could really come in. Cause you know, uh, it, at least judging by his Twitter account, he seemed to have these scenarios pretty well mapped out. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, everything about the optics in this match, like 27 minutes, evil Okada tells me that it it, it was an epic match. And I thought the finish was really incredible, but like 60 to 70% of the match, I just couldn't get into, you know, um, I think maybe a combination of seeing like, you know, really fast paced matches on the rest of this card, uh, and then seeing the slow pace at the beginning of this kind of lost me early on. They kind of got me. They definitely got me back for the finish. It was really an incredible finish, but but I I can't necessarily give full marks to a match that really just felt like it was going long for the sake of being long. Um, I respect the efforts of both men, in particular with Evil, who I think has looked awesome in this tournament. Great fire, like in a block without Ishii or Goto, I think Evil really stands out as your like prototypical like strong style type of fighter. He's been excellent, uh, and this was a very good match, but I cannot give it full marks simply due to just me not being there for a lot of it because i just didn't think it was that entertaining so i go xl still maybe Eh, xl half cream
1: i went just xl on this one it was all contingent on the final 10 minutes um because the first half of this match I i thought it really dragged and the audience wasn't with it it just felt like they were not getting out of first gear for those first uh i would say 12 to 15 minutes um and then it was that big exchange that Rose up the crowd and uh, I would say the final ten were, were strong. But uh yeah, I only go XL on this one and I wouldn't say it was the match of the show either. I I leaned towards uh the prior two matches, uh even even ahead of this one. Although I, I did think the ending was pretty dramatic. I thought the ending was more dramatic than the
0: prior two matches. The ending was was the loudest this crowd was all show, but as a full yeah. match itself, I, I didn't think it was the best match. I thought I like Kenta Osprey the most. Mm-hmm. So after this, Okada, 14 points, Kota Ibushi with 12. So that is our
1: final going into Budokan Hall on Monday, and we'll set up whoever is going to Monday's final. What's your prediction, Wei? For the final?
0: With Okada and Ibushi. I feel like it'll be Kota Ibushi. I think so, too. I think they're going to tease the draw. Uh, Yeah, I think so, too. Um. Man, Okada going to the final would just I think take away so much of the drama. So um I feel like it'll be a I think the bigger question is who he will be facing in the final in from B block. I think a lot of people that picked Abushi Naito, I think they're gonna be right. Well, let's uh do you wanna perhaps uh, preview uh next show?
1: Yeah, let's look at the B block because this is uh, all over the place. So uh, just to go over the points for the B block. John Moxley is on top with 10. And then Naito, Goto, Ishii, and Jay White have eight points. Juice Robinson and Toriyano have six. Those are the ones who are alive with Jeff Cobb, Taichi, and Shingo Takagi out of it. Uh, on Thursday show, our tournament matches are going to feature Toriyano versus Taichi. So Taichi can play spoiler here for Yano. Jeff Cobb versus Naito, where Cobb can play spoiler. I don't think that's going to be the case. I see Naito winning that one. Um, Hiroki Goto versus John Moxley. That's an important match because if Moxley wins, that'll eliminate Juice. It'll eliminate Toriyano. It would eliminate Goto. It would what? eliminate Goto. Uh, I'm just thinking about this. So even if Naito won, he could only tie Moxley if Moxley wins this. Um, because Moxley has wins over Naito. He has a win over Ishii. He has
0: the loss to Jay White. I think we've established that any Moxley win, wouldn't that eliminate Naito? Because Moxley is a tiebreaker over Naito. Yes. Yeah. So
1: Moxley can't tie Naito if Naito's going to win this. So there's a very good chance Goto wins this, and we have several people alive going into Sunday's Budokan Hall show, which I think is going to be the case. I think you're going to have the straight-up scenario for the A block, and then the B block is going to be the one where you have several people alive going into the final day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're going to have a logjam of people at 10 points with Moxley, Goto, Naito, and... uh, Ishii could win his match and be be there as well um Ishii is taking on shingo takagi in the main event and then we also have juice robinson and jay white so yeah you definitely have the possibility where juice could win and then he could at least tie moxley on the final day with their match um i, I think it's going to be extremely complicated the math
0: i, I have a feeling we're going to see some of these people get picked off you know, rather than having everybody move up with, with wins, like all the people that are still in contention, I think you're going to see a bit more of a concentrated cluster up the top rather than, you know, having everybody stay alive.
1: I, I think we're going to have, I think the I see Juice Robinson losing to Jay White and then his match with Moxley is just for the moral getting his win back yeah. Um, and play spoiler to Moxley. So I could see Moxley, Naito, Ishii, and Jay White all having 10 points going into the final day and they're all the ones alive. That's what I think is going to happen. I think we'll have four people alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I could see, I don't know if it's necessarily important for Ishii to kind of stay in the mix. Uh, you know, I could see them giving Shingo a win just to have him not be stuck at the bottom with four points coming out of this tournament. But, uh, it, it honestly doesn't really matter that much um i would say
1: if if ishi if ishi is alive going into the final day his spoiler on that last day is taichi
0: Mm. wow okay um yeah so it's well, i mean that would lead to a program between the two wouldn't it cuz didn't uh, ishi beat taichi for the never belt
1: yeah you could do you you could go that route so you may get a bunch of spoilers on Set up in that scenario but that is uh that's how the b block
0: is going to uh figure itself out and yes Uh, yeah we got a contest update i'm trying to see if uh our our friend omri uh sent us some notes from the undercard um thank you omri for doing that because we've had to record these a little bit early every single day so we haven't had a chance to watch some of these uh undercards but would you like me to go through some of them yeah for sure notes Okay, Omri says, uh, uh, on the on the card of this particular show, we had Minoru Suzuki taking on Yoshinobu, Nobu Kanemaru, or sorry, Suzuki, Kanemaru, and Taichi from Suzuki Gun taking on Chaos, or at least uh, Yano, Yotasuji, and uh, Yuya Uemura. And uh, he says, Suji got into Suzuki's face as soon as he got in the ring. This has been a common theme whenever Uemura or Suji are in a match against Suzuki. Suzuki Gun attacked before the bell. Taichi took Yano over to the, to the English announce desk and shoved the mic. Kelly uses the interview to, uses to interview wrestlers into the mouth of Yano. Yano took off the pad and he and Taichi started passing it between them, ending with Taichi passing it to the ref who dropped it. The match ended with Kanemaru hitting deep impact on Uemura. After the match, Taichi dropped Yano in the ring skirt and couldn't move. It has the potential, Amris believes, to be John's worst match of the tournament. Toriyano and Taichi, that's, uh, I, w- I would take that bet. Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto took on John Moxley and Shooter Umano. Moxley and Goto started the match with Moxley winning every single exchange they had. Shooter attacked Goto's right hand throughout the match. Yoshihashi won with the butterfly lock on Umano. They didn't seem to have the same great intensity that Mox had in other matches. Yujiro Takahashi, Chase Owens, and Jay White took on Juice Robinson, Tomoki Hama, and Toa Hanare. Uh, Omri says it's worth noting that throughout the tour, Yujiro and Hama have had some sort of rivalry going on. Same for Chase and Hanare. Hama and Yujiro started the match, and Bullet Club had the heat on him for a long time. Eventually, Juice made the hot tag. Jay had the left hand of God scouted, so he ducked, so Juice instead went for a suplex. Chase and Hanare tagged in, and Hanare showed a lot of fire. Chase won with the package pile driver on Hanare. After the match, Jay attacked Rocky, but not enough to take him off commentary. Finally, we had Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tatsuya Naito taking on Tomohiro Ishii, Jeff Cobb, and Ren Narita. During the ma- uh, during the entrance, Naito tried to fist bump Rocky, but he said no and walked away. So Naito sat in his chair and Rocky put his headset on Naito. Naito and Kelly then spoke a little bit of Spanish. Kelly asked him how he was, and Naito said he was okay, but a little tired, suggesting he doesn't have any interest in the match I I would love to go back and rewatch that. Shingo and Ichi started and it was fire. Great Ishii style exchange. Naito tagged in, but Ishii still went after Shingo. Cobb tagged in and he and Naito had a very good exchange ending with a drop kick to Cobb's knee. Naito continued to attack the knee afterwards. Bushi won with the MX on Narita. After the match, Naito continued the attack to attack uh Cobb and Ishii and Shingo had to be separated by young lions. So there you go. Thank you, Omri, for doing uh, Our jobs for us. I appreciate it very much. Uh, Let's go to some uh, contest updates. So, last we uh, discussed, Omri was actually sitting up top all by himself with uh, 50-something points. 51 points. One of the first people to crack the 50 barrier. Today, we have, I would say, a vast number of people cracking the 50 barrier mark. But sitting at the top... Tied for first place are three people. Min from San Jose, Tommy1211, and Zekro, all with 53 points. They stand by themselves right now in a dead tie in our post-wrestling predictions contest. Standing in second place is the aforementioned Omri. He is tied with Mark Butler at 52 points, so still a very tight race for, for, for number one. And then behind him is a cluster of ties for third place with Gavin Spears, Jacob Jensen, Jamie from Royal Leamington Spa, Jody Plant, Kevin Hare, Matt Ace, Mike S., Nicholas De Silva, and Wings. Paul McCartney's Wings. Uh, band. They're, wow. they, they submitted an entry for the G1 as well. And Wings are sitting up, uh, in this third place tie at 51 points. So will they live or will they let die? in this contest this is this is our b block because there are many many different outcomes potentially Uh, and the post-wrestling family c block standings this is really the the tournament that i think uh has um really the the g1 math forget the the calculators uh set aside those i think this is the only contest and the the only rankings everybody needs to pay attention to in the post-wrestling c block standings, still sitting up top Enjoying, I think, the, the fruits of that uh, perfect card from uh, several events back. Mike Murray, fifty or 49 points, sits atop. Followed by Davy Portman, close behind at 47 points. And then following him are Jamesy, 46 points. Wei Ting, 45 points. I have overtaken Vivian Murray at 44. So, um, at least a bit of a moral victory for today there. Sitting behind Vivian Murray is Benno coming up with 43 points so i think the d block is is uh, race is starting to heat up between me vivian and benno uh and at the very bottom Randall bot 2000 sits at 38 points davy's girlfriend 35 points wow well
1: uh is anyone i guess we have some mathematical
0: eliminations then i guess so you're right well uh there's only there's only
1: uh well one, there's one more show Or right. Well, there's four shows, so 20 points are at stake. 20 so points.
0: maybe not. Yeah, so Mike can, can get can go over 20, and Davy's girlfriend could go <laughs> finish with 55 points potentially. So it's it, possible.
1: Maybe all of Mike's luck has run out, and he's he's yeah. cashed out when it's most important. So it's still anybody's race. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned, everybody, for the latest. And I guess we'll be announcing the the winners on Monday show,
0: uh, unless that there's I think a tie. Coming out of the B block final, so yeah, either Monday or, sorry, you mean Sunday? Well,
1: I was or, I was talking about Monday after after the finals.
0: Well, I mean the way that the tournament works is if there's a, there could be a winner already by the end of the B block.
1: Okay. Well, we can announce it whenever we know who the winner is then.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, as far as um upsets on this particular show, not any to note except for one that was i would consider a pretty big upset here because only 14 percent of people predicted bad luck volley to beat hiroshi tanahashi well now
1: we'll have a we'll probably get a big uh rematch between the two now yeah all right uh before we go i just want to quickly look at this interview that uh john moxley did with uh with Nikan sports in japan and kind of talking about his status with new japan and also Uh, coming to New Japan. Uh, Now, this is uh, it's translated, so some of this is kind of broken English, but he was asked about leaving the WWE and coming to New Japan, and he stated that he was a big fan of Japanese professional wrestling. Quote, I wanted serious professional wrestling, not entertainment that played crappy characters. I knew that was my origin and that Japanese wrestling was such a serious place. At the time of WWE, I went to the place, told by the company, and fought as I was told. Same as Chained. Now it's my freedom to do anything. You can fight, get experience, knowledge, and enjoy life all over the world. It's like this man has left prison. Um, Says that uh, New Japan, it's much more serious, and it's not like dancing foolishly. Dancing Dancing foolishly. foolishly. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, this guy, he was hardly being prodded by these questions, but was uh, going out of his way here to, to
0: paint one well, uh, versus the other. The Jericho interview was really the same. Like Jericho really got, had like what, like five questions in that whole podcast. And it was just like Jericho getting all this off his chest or, sorry, or Moxley. I mean,
1: uh, he went on. He talked about uh, wrestling at Cork, Q and Hall was obviously a big deal for him. He called it a sacred place and was uh, one of his life's goals to compete there. And then he was asked the big question, what are your plans after G1? Can you participate in New Japan again? And he said, fortunately, there is no problem in fighting in New Japan while belonging to an American organization, meaning AEW. In the future, I can always show up in Japan and play games. And they followed up by asking about his participation at the Tokyo Dome next year. And he said, naturally, I want to do it at the Tokyo Dome. If you win the G1, you can fight at the main event of the Tokyo Dome and... That's obviously what he wants to do. And he was asked who you would like to face in the future. And his only answer was Minoru Suzuki. Oh, so, awesome. So, so awesome. that seems to be probably where things are going, but I think that's a very interesting note. The fact that he has obviously a similar deal to Kenny Omega, where he has the ability to, new, to do new Japan dates. Um, I'm sure he's going to have to work it out around his AEW schedule, but it looks like there's there's nothing preventing him. And based on how he's been booked, I I think that's as much a guarantee, as you can imagine, that he's going to be on at least one, if not
0: both, of the Tokyo Dome shows. It's a pretty pretty unique precedent that I think they originally set with Jericho having the, the freedom to work both AEW on a right. full-time basis and also New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that was eventually extended to Kenny Omega as well. And uh, Moxley probably demanded the very same thing. And um, I'm I think as fans, we're all really happy for it because it seems like with the way they're booking Moxley… Uh, unlike Kenny Omega, they certainly seem to have plans to to you know want to treat him, uh, Moxley, book him strongly, and probably use him a lot going forward. I, you know, it all sounds great in theory, but in execution, once AEW starts to do live weekly television, how how is that going to work? You know, inevitably, I think you're going to see some limitations. Some uh, in, with increasing demands with John Moxley being at TV every single week that'll prevent him from doing. Certainly a G1. Uh, I can't see him taking the whole summer off. To go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. But I could be wrong. You know like he he could be. be, He could have that level of stroke. To be able to just say. See you guys in two uh, two months guys. I'm I'm going to Japan. Uh, He's certainly seeming like he's. Living through a fantasy camp. Like doing. Dream type. uh, Of like styles of matches. uh, Having great matches. I think with. Not even, like, New Japan, I would say. Not even their, like, top, top, top tier. Obviously, you had great matches with Naito. uh, Great matches with Ishii. But a lot of the guys in A-block, he hasn't touched yet. So, all that remains on the table. Obviously, Minoru Suzuki, I think, is a dream match. Everybody wants to see. And clearly, a style that fits him perfectly, too. I look forward to all that. To me, like, if you don't have anything for Suzuki for one of those nights, please, Wrestle Kingdom would be perfect to do that type of match. Yeah, so...
1: No, and I think with AEW, John Moxley's stock has increased so much this summer, and they're the mm-hmm. beneficiaries of that when he comes back, and then you can go to all these different cities with John Moxley as well. And he's also got that match coming up with Northeast Wrestling with uh, Pentagon Jr. later this month as well. So he is doing that. So anyway, just wanted to go over that interview because that was a a question people had about John Moxley, and it looks like there's not going to be anything that prevents him from doing future dates. So that's going to wrap things up. I want to thank everyone that tuned in. Uh, whether you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe or checking this out for free, uh, we do multiple bonus shows per week up at postwrestlingcafe.com. You can sign up. It is uh, $6 US per month, and you get not just all of the extra shows each week, but access to our entire library that includes all our G1 shows, rewind aways, ask aways, double shots. You get access to all of that instantly, and it helps keeps all of this running
0: and 20% off for the next five days at the post wrestling store, 20% off of everything, including our t-shirts and our hats, uh, store.postwrestling.com. All cafe members can access the special promo code that grants you 20% off. And that is going to wrap things up. We'll be back on Thursday with a G one show
1: for cafe members. And we will have the cafe hangout live at 3 PM Eastern time. We will do a big SummerSlam preview, uh, looking ahead at all the cards this weekend. Plus, ESPN's Mark Ramundi is going to be joining us as well to chat about uh, his live coverage of Mania last weekend, the G1, and much more. Looking forward to talking with Mark and speaking with all of you. So we will talk to you on Thursday.